Thank you, Richard, for that introduction. It's an honor to be at Woodmont this morning. I, have, I do cherish the, the years of connection I had with, with members here. I've had with members here and times I've been in this, in this beautiful room. I, I am excited to see what's going on here. I love Nathan Parker. I tell you, when he was my student in my Bible class at Belmont years ago, if I had had any idea, you guys, could, I would have worked him a little harder. You know, unfortunately, some really good people contributed to his life. It's obvious when he stands and preaches on Sunday morning and when he teaches. Uh, it's obvious that uh, good people have poured into his life. Uh, but uh, I, would have, I would have worked him a little harder. I, uh, my apologies. He does fine, though, doesn't he? And I'm excited to see what you and he and his family and this staff and this church, see what you guys are doing together here in these days. Very pleased. You have been reading through... Oh my, Second Kings and now John, right, as a church? Those are good things. This morning, uh, we're going to turn to the ninth chapter of John. As you turn there, I want to thank you for, uh, in ways you, you may not know, being part of my ministry for the last 32 years, um, working with college students, specifically with Tennessee Baptists across the state. I was at UT, I was at Vanderbilt, and now I work across the state with a lot of great people who are doing your work on university campuses, and so you've been part of that through your gifts, and I want to thank you for that. Thank you for continuing to be part of that. This morning, these words from the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, the first 12 verses, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent and then he went and he washed and he came back able to see. And his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask him, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, it is he. And others were saying, no, but it's someone who looks like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. But they were asking him, then, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? The man said, I don't know. What a great little story from the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Father, we ask you today to open our eyes to take this story and make it part of our very souls. Use this story that we might see Jesus and through seeing him, see his father and know how he would live in us. In Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen. Now the gospel of Mark, he tells about this, the healing of two blind men. But he takes five verses, Mark takes five verses to tell about the man at Bethsaida who was also healed with Jesus' spit. And he, gives, takes five, he takes seven verses, Mark does, to tell us about Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a beggar sitting blind beside the Jericho Road. 
But not John. No, no, not John. John takes 41 verses. John takes a whole chapter. John wants to give you the whole story about this healing of this blind man. And so we get this long story. The setting is Jesus, if, we, if this is in chronological order as, as John has laid it out, Jesus has left the temple and he's walking out of the temple and he's, there's some tension, there's some pressure because those, those guys in the temple were so frustrated with Jesus. If you go back and read chapter 8, so frustrated and they were even planning to stone him if they could get away with it. And Jesus, wisely, because he had things to do, stories to tell, people to heal, he walked right out of that temple and walked down the road. And here we encounter a blind man. Apparently it wasn't unusual in that culture to encounter blind people sitting, begging. It's what happens. That was their social security system of the day. Their disability system of the day was to people to sit and to beg. And the disciples decided, hey Jesus, let's have a theological conversation. And so they asked the question. They stand back and they look at the man and they ask the question, hey Jesus, you see this guy here, uh, so uh, tell us, uh, rabbi, teacher, was it, was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin? It was the Sabbath. You stand around and talk about theological ideas on the Sabbath. His sin, his parents' sin. Who asked, let's get a picture of this situation. You're the blind man. You've got your cup, you're trying to make a living. A group of guys you don't know walk up and they start having a little theological conversation about you. What's your response? Hey, buddy, how about some money? Have your conversation somewhere else. Hey, guys, I may be blind, but I'm not disabled. I can hear you talking about me. I'm a person sitting here. Take your conversation somewhere else. It's a real conversation with real people in a real place. And a man with needs... And a bunch of guys standing around having a theological conversation. Where's the compassion? Where's the compassion? Where's, where's the human feeling in this conversation? Where's, where's any sensibility about a man's hurt and need? None. Hey, Jesus, let's have a theological conversation. With the college students I, walk, I work with today, it's kind of popular to have this conversation. I think God's sovereign. Oh, no, I think he's very sovereign. Guy number three says, no, 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 he's very, very sovereign. And I think God's sitting around saying, yeah, I'm sovereign enough, buddy. Why don't you get to work? Let's do something important. We want to have our theological conversations. We want to ask these questions. We want to ask the question, who sinned? It's an ancient question, you know. These were Hebrew people steeped in Old Testament times, and the Old Testament talks about this question. Wait a minute. Why is somebody suffering? These were human people. We want to know the answer, don't we? Wait a minute. Where'd this suffering come from? We know suffering. Our family, those around us know suffering. The people we love know suffering. Why is that? That human question that we want answered, as humans we ask the question, we feel like if we can explain it, if we can make it predictable, we can make it comfortable, we can understand, oh, okay, Suffering comes, this is why, there's a purpose, I feel better. I'm, I'm a bike rider, I'm an old, slow bike rider, but I love to ride my bike. And so, when I get on my bike some days and I take off on a new route, it seems so long. I look at that little bike computer and it says, you're 15 miles from home, Bill. It feels like 40. 
It's a new route. I don't know where all the potholes are. I don't know if I can get over that next hill. It looks pretty high. I don't know if I can make it. I'm, I, it seems really long. But the next time I make it, half as long. Even the ride home, much shorter. Because I, I know the route. We want to take the things that we don't know. We want to make them understandable because it feels so much better. And so we're human and we ask the question, why? If we could just predict and understand, we'd feel better. The Old Testament deals with this question. Why? The Old Testament, the Old Testament says uh, several mixed things on this, if you'll bear with me for a moment. We have the book of Proverbs. Will Williman says, preacher says, book of Proverbs like a road trip with your mother. Clean up your room, put away your socks, life will be good. You know Proverbs. It's the Lord's wisdom. If you do the right thing, if you live a righteous life, if you work hard, you'll do fine. If you do A, B. We like that. We take it in the Old Testament, they take it and they flip it. They say, if you see B, then A. If a guy is uh, prosperous, he must be living a righteous life. Oh, if there's suffering in that person's life, there must be sin. B equals A. That feels good, doesn't it? With a little math, a little spreadsheet, you just understand it all. Ecclesiastes comes along, he says, yeah, right. You know Ecclesiastes, he says, I tried wealth and riches. It was empty. Vain, he says, smoke. I tried wisdom. It was vain. It was empty. And in the end, we die. It's Ecclesiastes, that's uplifting, isn't it? So we got Proverbs, we got Ecclesiastes. This is the stuff these guys were steeped in. These disciples had learned this. And they're asking the question still, is it this or is it this? Job came along, great little three-part narrative. We got a narrative, Jesus and his buddies. We got, we got a, well, we got his buddies. We got a narrative, Job and his buddies and everything he loses. And we got 36 chapters of God saying, sit down. We, we have to 36 chapters, we have God saying, sit down. I got a hard conversation to have with you, Job. Sorry about that, mix up. That's what happens. God shows up to Job. He's, Job's lost everything. Job's got three buddies giving him a hard time. Job's trying to answer this question. His buddy's trying to answer this question. God shows up. Here's what he says in Job 38. Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You don't understand this stuff, do you? He says, gird up your loins like a man. I will question you. You shall declare to me who determined the measurements of the earth. Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it and made the earth? Surely you know. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding? On what were the bases of the universe sunk or who laid its cornerstone? In 39 he says, is it by your wisdom that this hawk soars in the air and spreads its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high? God comes and asks some really hard questions of Job as he tries to understand this question of why. Finally, Job gives up and he says, <laughs> I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. God says, you will not figure all this out. Proverbs says, do the right thing, you'll be blessed. Ecclesiastes says, don't count on it. 
Most days you live by Proverbs. You got to get up. You got to go to work, right? You got to do the right thing. You got to live a clean life. You got to be righteous. You got to be listening to what God says. Things generally work out okay. Most of the time. But the, cre- the preacher in Ecclesiastes reminds us suffering comes to all. Everything that confronts us is vanity, he says. The same fate comes to everyone. Jesus explained it this way in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Oh, man, Bill, why'd you come remind us of that today? We're trying hard out here. The disciples asked the question, who sinned? Jesus said, neither. Get a new question. Jesus said, get a new question. Look at verse 3 in chapter 9. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Whoa, wait, wait, don't get stuck. We get all anxious, like, so wait a minute. Did God make, I can't believe I'm about to say this, what my Baptist church, did God make that man blind so he could heal him? That's a hard question. I don't think so. I think, number one, God said to Job, sit down, buddy, you don't understand this all. This is really complicated. You won't get it. Secondly, I think Jesus is saying, hey, we're all here so God's works can be done in our life. Whatever we got going on, whatever our suffering, whatever our struggle, we're here so that they're here so that God's works can be done in their lives. Don't get stuck there. I love this, I love this word made evident, made manifest. God is invisible. God is invisible. We don't see God. And at the same time, he is made evident in the world. You know, those, those Israelite children came out of Egypt and they, they, were, they were wondering, where are we going in this desert? And all of a sudden they had a, a column of cloud a, a day and a column of fire at night. And, and God was made evident in that place in the way they needed him to be evident in that place. God makes himself evident. Jesus said, this man, this is a great opportunity to make God evident. Right here. Right now. That's the question. How can we make God evident? In the Old Testament, the concept really is glory. How can God be glorified, made evident, made real and shining and right there in front of us? How can that happen? I love this story as it goes on. When Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes and said, go wash. And he was healed. And people were perplexed. It was so amazing, this transformation that people around, somebody said, that's the guy. He was the beggar. And others were like, nope, looks a lot like him. I'll have to admit, that looks a lot like that beggar, but it's not him. Because he could see it must be somebody else. Don't you love the conversation? It's got to be, it's got to be someone else. And then they asked the, the blind man now seeing in verse 12, they said, where is the one who healed you? And he said, I, I don't know. I'm just looking around. I, I might mention I have a grandbaby. I have a grandbaby, three months old. You might have had a grandbaby. I should have sent some PowerPoint photographs of Alice, but I didn't get around to it. And 
But the last three pictures I've seen of Alice, she's doing this. And she's out walking with her mom and dad, and she cannot stop looking at the trees. So every picture of Alice is like this. She just can't stop. Can you imagine having been blind? And all you want to do is look. Look at that color. Look at those people. Look at that building. I just want to look. I don't know where he went. I'm just looking. Leave me alone. The story goes on, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. They began to interrogate this poor man who didn't ask for all this. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight, and they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, They didn't ask for this either, did they? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He's emancipated. He will speak for himself. We we don't really want a part of this. We got to go home. You talk to the boy. They knew there was some tension going on here and some struggle. When, When Jesus changed lives, it created tension and conflict and anxiety. We don't expect people to begin to see. Change makes us uncomfortable. These verses 24 to 27. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they asked him, give, give glory to God. We, we know that this man is a sinner, this one who healed you. And, and, and the man now seeing said, I do not know whether he's a sinner. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? And the man said, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Oh, why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Oh, my. I love a sarcastic healed man in a Bible story. It's sarcastic. Oh, so what? just leave me. Oh, you must want to be his disciples too. What's the, what's the, little, the little unstated? You want to be his disciples too? You also want to be his disciples? I'm his disciple. He healed me. I was blind, but now I see. He healed me. My life has changed. I love this story. I love the undercurrents that John writes in the story. I love all the players. It's a complex story. I love, I love all the concepts and the ideas, and I love how Jesus just steps up and says, I think we need a new question. And I love that we have a man given sight who worships a living Savior. And Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found the man, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He was blind. And he sees now. He is a disciple This past week, Ben Carson, the head of our Department of Housing and Urban Development, made a statement about his understanding of why people suffer, specifically suffer from poverty. I'm certainly not here to comment on Ben Carson's comment. I'm not here to comment this morning on the comments about Ben Carson's comments. Uh, 
I am here to say this morning, we're still asking the same question. It's the same question. Why are poor people poor? Why are blind men blind? Why? We haven't learned a new question. Whose sin is it that people suffer from poverty? We still ask. 2,000 years later, we ask the question. Disciples thought they knew. The Pharisees thought they knew. 82% of the people on Facebook are confident they know the answer to this question, but we still ask this question. Maybe the parents of the blind man were the wise ones, and, and we should all say, I, I don't, don't, don't ask me. Ask, talk to him. I don't know. Job would tell you, be careful what you ask. Jesus would say, we need a new question. Here's how Jesus answered the question once. And Matthew tells us that when John the Baptist heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples, and they said, and, and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. If you can work with this, you're on the team with the disciple. Tell John what I do. Tell John, I am the gospel. Dave Kinnaman, and Gabe, uh, Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons in their new book, Good Faith, tell of a Sunday afternoon discovery in their uh, Upper East Side neighborhood in New York City where they walked out on Sunday afternoon and a, a local church had, had the street closed. They're having a street festival. And an unknown neighbor, unsolicited and sarcastic, walked up to Gabe and said, this is the only thing the Christian church does for us, and they do it once a year. Oh, ouch. Oh, ouch. Our culture believes we do nothing. The good our church does in the world is often overshadowed by our own self-righteousness, our judgment, our affluent separateness, our perceived narrow-mindedness. Uh, the culture doesn't believe we have a positive contribution to make. They don't see any reason to join us, and they think we're standing around asking the same old question. Who sinned now? They don't see us connected. Jesus says, my people need a new question. What would happen if our first question was, what do you need? What would happen if our first question was, what can we do to help? How different would we be perceived if... Blind men were healed, and lame people walked, and broken people found fullness in life again. How would we be perceived differently in the church? This is the light we must bring. Jesus reminds us that the days are limited. The light is limited. We have to do today. And God must be made evident and God must be glorified. We must find a new question. Father, what a challenge. We are presented with brokenness in our own lives, and we're presented with brokenness all around us. 
And so often we stand and ask empty, arid questions that change no one's lives. Open our eyes. We are so often the blind ones. Show us the needs around us. Show us the new way, the new question. Let us bring you to a world that needs them, needs you. And let us make you glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, the question really is for you. The question is for you. Are you just asking empty questions? Have you just gotten in that rut? I spend a lot of my days doing that. And this passage calls me back to something higher. Are we as a church just asking empty questions? Are we, are we actually walking into our neighborhoods and seeing the pain and making a difference? Maybe this morning you don't know the one, you haven't met the one. You haven't met the one who changes our lives and steps in and, and opens our eyes and makes us see the world. And so this morning invitation, as Richard comes and leads us in singing, as Richard stands at the front this morning, this invitation is for you. It's for all of us. Because God wants us wide awake. He wants our eyes wide open. And he wants us changing the world and making him evident in the world around him. As we sing this morning, come.